0: No. Oh, they were not present in this home. What's a ghost with a broken leg called? Uh what would that be?
1: A hoblin goblin. <laughs> 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 that's not at all what I would have thought. Yeah, seeing how a ghost wasn't. and a goblin are two completely different things. But hey, whatever.
0: It was cute. Too, yeah. yeah. I, went, I went right for the ghosts. You kind of cross lines. There, but hey, it's okay. Well, that's what we can do here. We do that here. I think these are, Crossing yeah. lines. I think those are Since jokes for children. But that's okay because, you know, kids at heart. <laughs> To be honest with you, um, the entire time we've been doing this podcast, I'm pretty certain that most of my jokes have been pulled from ch- like childlike sex. Yes, that's amazing. I love it. I definitely have to click that I'm under 18.
1: <laughs> definitely not weird that you're lying about that online or admitting to it. <laughs>
0: oh, no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> anyway.
1: Anyway, welcome to Contagious Curiosity with Kat and Laney. I am Laney. And I'm Kat. And today we are bringing you ooky spooky paranormal
0: activity fun times. Or do we? Because I might present present a slightly different side or perspective to a well-known story that everybody wants to believe is all mystical mumbo-jumbory greatness that just, I don't know, could it be? (laughs) Or could it
1: just not? Well, I'm excited to get into it in great excruciating detail. It's gonna be a good time. I feel like we might oh. fight, and it's a good thing we're a couple of states away. So, who
0: knows? Listen, I'm not <laughs> trying to start a fight. I'm what I'm trying to do pulling pulling my, my dad card out here. I'm just gonna throw this out on the table. Listen, you know, I just like to get people riled up. You know what I mean? Just make I, I like I like to get people all all bothered. Oh, That's I've seen your nice dad thank in thank you. action. I've seen it. He's good at thank it. Thank you for doing that to my my partner that I just introduced you <laughs> to. And thank you for making them feel uncomfortable and bringing up. <laughs> Your love of your love of Trump and the Tea Party, which is not true, but just to get a rise. Oh God, I'll never forget. God, he's such a rapscallion. I'll never forget.
1: <laughs> what? Just, just poking the bear. Just poking the angry bear. Oh, it kills
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if your dad has ever been what described a as a rod. rapscallion before in his life, but. He is. <laughs> You you silly little rapscallion.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to come up and <laughs> see him just be like, Bill, you whole and slap him on the back the next
0: time. You, <laughs> oh, he's going to be so pissed. touch him. He'd be so mad. Yeah. Don't touch him. What are you doing? I'll never forget. Ooh. I used to work with my father. Um, separate apartments, but in the same building, but it was a very large building. And there was a a guy that I used to work with who was just very overly confident in himself. He was just one of those people who, you know, he thinks when he walks into a room that he lights up a room Mm. and that he is God's gift to everything that exists in the room. And so my father, I, you know, long story short, he used to have to bring things up to the floor that I was working on. It was in a mental, no mental health. It was in a, a rehab, like nursing facility. And my dad's just talking to me while I'm at the counter and this guy comes up and he's like, Hey Bill, how's it going? And just kinda pokes him oh, pokes his no. belly a bunch of times. Oh, just no. and this is like a six foot four dude. <laughs> and my father's like oh, he's like five seven. He's not that tall. <laughs> and he's stocky. He looks like a dwarf, you know, like we're a dwarfish bunch, mm. us. And he's just like Poking his beer belly, and my dad, my dad was like really pleasant because he was at work, and he's like, haha you know, you know, I just I'll tell you one thing, you know, if he, if we weren't at work, I'd fucking punch your lights out." And my dad just smiles and says that to him, and he's like, "Oh, Bill, you're funny, you're funny. He's not like, a joke. I, I know. I know it's, it's, it's so funny. It's funny. It's, it's funny, isn't not it? a joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. What a rap in you. <laughs> oh, god." I,
1: I could go on talking so about what are you drinking
0: today though. Oh, okay,
1: yes. Please do stop me. I was no, no I was just...
0: you... <laughs> right as you're like, I could no, go No, that's on. what I was saying <laughs> is I could
1: go on talking about our father bills for days on end. So let's keep going with the
0: podcast. <laughs> the, so. fact we, the fact that we have two bills. I do love it. <laughs> we have two bills. <laughs> Making a two dollar bill is what uh... that does off. Yes, yeah, uh So anyway, <laughs> I am drinking
1: a little creation that I made myself that I am calling the Phantasm Gasm. And it is it is <laughs> a butterfly pea tea infused so vodka with a little bit of mango lemonade mixed in and a sugar rim. And it is it is primarily vodka because I was putting it in a martini glass, so it you know, it has to be a martini. So it's it's interesting, but I like it. Say the name again.
0: Phantasm gasm. Phantasm gas. <laughs> oh,
1: and a little bit of simple syrup Phantasm- in there to make it a little sweet. A little sweeter.
0: Yeah, I really love I love that purple effect. Mm, oh, I wet. know. Because oh, the, the
1: vodka it... infused is it's a dark like cobalt blue, and then as soon as I add the, the citrus to it, it just bam purple. Bam. It's beautiful. <laughs> bam! pow, pa, pat pa.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What are you drinking? So I'm drinking a soda. It's big in flavor, as the bottle says. It's got a picture of a giant oh, hippo man. on it. It's bright purple, which is funny because yeah. your drink is also purple. And it says uh, hippo-sized beverages. Huppo, uh, it's the hippo huckleberry flavor. And it's actually... its So I opened it already. And I'll be honest with you, like... Mm, that sounds yummy. Huckleberry? It has... Yeah. It has... A, well, that's just it. I, and I think it's the huckleberry. Because I've never had... Huckleberry soda. I've had a huckleberry jam and it smells very nostalgic, mm. but I can't place it. But it's almost it's very rugged and earthy still. Like, so you can smell this fruit to it, but there's also like an earthy flavor to the Ooh, berry itself mixed with something there's gotta be something else in here just to kind of like dumb it down a bit. But it's not um hold on. It's pink, so there's not much color to it, but it's just, it's just it's <laughs> I like that you had to take it's the good, taste it of burns it just to,
1: to double check. It burns. Ooh. It burns.
0: Well, maybe like, because like a, the, the, the scent intrigues Like a me. ginger like burn? What do you mean by burns? Like a ginger burn. That's a good way to put it. Like a ginger burn. And so there, hold on. <laughs> let's, just, well, let's just read the bottle, shall we? <laughs> It, I don't. It, I don't think it actually has. El- oh, oh, elderberry. Hey, there she blows. So huckleberry and elderberry. Oh, I'm like, I'm like. There's something else in there. <laughs> and what's really funny is that I actually years ago, um, I harvested a shit ton of elderberries, to dye some wool. Oh, yep. So. I'm like, there was a smell in there that I was, that was maybe that's what it was. Cooking it was all good. that. It's good. Oh Look at it. It all came together. Yeah. It all came around. I love that
1: there's a hippo on it. Yeah, I love it. If anybody has spent any time on our Instagram page, you'll notice that I, I often tend to share a lot of updates about Fritz, the hippo at the Cincinnati Zoo, and Fiona, his sister, and their whole little oh, bloat yeah. that they have going on there. Oh my God. He is so they're freaking cute. Their whole little bloat. That's what they're called. A the group <laughs> of hippos is a bloat. I know. <laughs> Oh, I love them so much. I've been obsessed with Fiona since she was born. And I'm just like, mmm, mmm, they're so cute. Deadliest freaking animals. They are out of control and extremely vicious. But, oh, they're so cute. And their little wiggly ears. I think that's why I love them so much. Is they're just, like, absolute the, ears, like... the earful. No, I mean, I just, the fact that they're so freaking cute. And then they're just like, hey, I'm a killing machine. Chomp, chomp. When, like, a lion looks scary. You know? A gorilla you think so look scary a fucking kangaroo looks scary oh uh, yes Sloth. yes they are, they are are terrifying looking like you expect them to like you know if they are in any type of danger or anything and when they do attack it's gonna be a bad time like but a hippo you're just like <laughs> oh look at that little water water horse it's just so cute and with his little Koala. ears fuck koalas <laughs> <laughs> koala. I fucking hate koala.
0: I had to bring it up. You can't bring <laughs> up like a, a cute, deadly animal without bringing up
1: koala See, that's the thing. They're too <laughs> dumb to be deadly. They're too dumb to be anything. They. J- I don't understand how they've made it this far and how they. I don't get it. <laughs> you know,
0: I'll tell you. When you get on a tear about an animal, you don't fucking <laughs> let up. I have very strong opinions <laughs> about Hannah Day. <laughs> of, like. I'll never forget the day. How did you... I, I feel like you were screaming it at me, but it might have just been in a message when you were just talking about the sunfish. Um, No, you, we you were, were on a the bus at sunfish. Disney. We were on... No, we were on the, <laughs> the, the, the monorail
1: full of other people. And I am lighting you up about the impossibilities Upset. of a sunfish. And...
0: Yeah, they, no, they, they're... And by the way, I'm not, I was not on the sunfish <laughs> side. I was just there as somebody receiving the information. But she was like, she was like delivering it to me. Like she was, like, like she was making points. <laughs> making points. I felt, but it was good though. I didn't forget it. Felt like Mrs.
1: White and Clue. <laughs> just like, flames on the side of my face. Burning. Flames. <laughs> uh, fl- fl- flames. All right. So we have got um, a lot of information to get through today so I feel like we should jump right in and get this puppy going so I'm gonna start this off yeah and this is not an episode that's like here's the haunting this is gonna be a lot of information about a
0: lot of stuff so (laughs) I don't know how else to classify it so here we go because I just want to point out that Lainey and I have a hard time having short episodes so we can't just come at you with a little bit yeah i tried coming at it you with come a little with bit. us you come with a lot
1: and the also but then it grows yeah man. it
0: does i got i find That's so what much happens. to say <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right so today i will be talking about a man who is well known to those interested in the occult or paranormal but rather unheard of to the rest of the world the glorious nandor fodor so he was one of the most foremost one of the foremost intellectuals of his time on paranormal activity a man who is deeply invested in both science and the supernatural truly a fascinating person and a testament to how polarizing a single human can be Fodor was born on it's so hard to say his name without wanting to say frodo like seeing it typed (laughs) out my brain is automatically just like frodo Fodor. No, Fodor. All right. Fodor (laughs) was born on May 13th, 1895 in Hungary. He died on May 17th, 1964 in New York. It's hard to pigeonhole Fodor as any one thing because he studied, worked on, and wrote about so, so much during his 69 years on Earth. He earned a doctorate studying law in Budapest, was an author of multiple books and scholarly papers, a psychoanalyst, journalist, psychical researcher, poltergeist aficionado, and an active member in many different spiritual or cult societies across the world. Nandor Fodor gained both support and disdain from those practicing spiritualism because his skeptical approach to to (laughs) psychical research before I get into the life and studies of Nandor I'm going to do a brief overview of what psychical research is and the rise of spiritualism since they both played such significant roles in his life Kat and I could literally spend the next five years of our lives just studying and covering the ins and outs of spiritualism so I I really this is
0: it's the briefest of brief overviews that somebody could possibly give. There's so much you cannot state any more clearly that you're generalizing the F out yes, of it, right? Exactly. The like, it is, yes, exactly. Like it is. This gotcha. is gotcha.
1: The bare bones. At its core, spiritualism is a philosophical belief that a pers- person's consciousness moves into the spirit world after death. That that consciousness or spirit continues to evolve past death that it is possible for the living to contact those who have transitioned to the spirit world, and that there is much for the living to learn from the dead, even potentially the nature of God itself. Even more simply put, spiritualists sought communication with the dead through things like mediums, seances, and rituals to gain higher knowledge of the metaphysical. What they were trying to learn from the dead was different for every spiritualist. Some simply wanted to speak to a family member or friend who passed, some were in search of spirit guides, and others wanted to learn the secrets of the universe, both seen and unseen. Though interest in communicating with the dead is a tale nearly as old as human existence, it has never been so wide-reaching or all-consuming as it was in the late 1800s. Spiritualism grew in popularity at the end of the 19th century and reached its fever pitch in the 1890s, with more than 8 million followers in the United States and Europe. Its heydays were between the 1840s and 1920s, but is still very much practiced and believed in by people all over the world today, primarily, though, in Brazil. There were a number of factors that helped its popularity skyrocket. The expanse of science and its direct challenge to religious worldview, society is growing tired of the rigidity of organized religion, and the mayhem that was World War I are just a few examples. I really can't overstate either just how obsessed Americans and Europeans became with spiritualism and the impact it had on society that we still feel today. Humans have always had an interest in the macabre, and spiritualism made it possible for any regular person to dip their toe into the strangeness of the abyss. I mean, it's it's part of why Kat and I are doing this episode. People love the supernatural and they love the idea with being able to interact with it even yeah. more. It's... It, I, yeah, think there's, of the horror industry. Whether or not, just whether not people
0: are thriving in the fear and the terror or whether or not they are, like, living in the possibility of... Even just the possibility of hope in in, mm-hmm. in some sort of connection regardless of the outcome. People really live for it. Absolutely. It's...
1: Just the the thought of there's been so much loss already and, you know, the, the brief history of the United States has just suffered so much in its baby infancy. And the thought of people being able to communicate, you know, with their lost loved ones or anybody gaining more insight and things starting to become more... know people started becoming more free thinking and science like showing us things that we never thought possible it was like watching magic you know happen before you and come to life so why not study spirits and ghosts why how is that any you know more fantastic than like things like you know traveling at the speed of light or sound or you know any of that just it's
0: yeah i agree i had a lot of experiences and a lot of a lot of events happened to me when I was younger. And I remember constantly being told that it was just a part of my active imagination. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I, I just, and I could, I could go on about some stories and I was very distinctly seeing what I was seeing. And what's interesting is that I was very welcoming to it. And I was a child of the nineties. So I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a computer to play with. I didn't have all these things. So I relied a lot on television and my parents actually kept me from a lot of really scary things but i think it was when i saw poltergeist which is the most hilarious thing to say in the world but when i saw poltergeist then i started to become did afraid you say of Pol-tra? the unknown then i started to did you just say Pol- Poltergeist? poltergeist yes. <laughs> yeah well it's probably it's really you know what i mean it's literally just it's kind it's an inflection on whatever i'm oh, saying yeah, no. i i know better <laughs> thanks for thanks for bringing Anyway up. i know better poltergeist Anyway, <laughs> but yes. So once I started to gain a lot more fear, uh, now now I can't help but think about it. Poultry, poultry, it's poultry. I. <laughs> po- why do I want to say poultry? Poultry, maybe because <laughs> like, of like chickens and poultry. That's <laughs> all. I just need like a, a chicken entity, like spirit. Just poultry guys. Now I'm guys. fucking on it. Now I'm fucking on this, and I can't get off this. <laughs> Alright, moving on. I'm moving on. Regardless, Ooh. then I was scared of ghosts. Then I'm done. I'm fucking done. <laughs> no, but yes, then I started to actually gain fear yeah. and then I was kind of pushing you push it yeah. out. Once you get scared and you're like, go away, go away, please stop. Don't 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 yeah, don't. Yeah, this is a bad You're really thing. kind of closing off that you're closing off that that a willingness to let something unknown in, and that's the whole point of even being a medium—is that you have that veil down, mm-hmm. that you have that welcoming presence, and that you're approachable. We put up walls, we do, we do. <coughs> so yeah, you know what you mean. Oh yeah. All right, moving back. So it wasn't just
1: old-timey goths that were interested. It was scientists, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't okay. <laughs> <laughs> i came here specifically to say this (laughs) it was scientists lawyers philosophers doctors (laughs) mathematicians academics high class low class regular joe schmo literally every class or creed of person was invested in and practicing and studying spiritualism like this was huge newspapers were writing about it it was in books it was on you know in songs it was freaking everywhere so it, it's been called the greatest and most diverse religious movement of the 19th century. To demonstrate just how mainstream and popular it was, we're going to play you a little song from 1853 that has been stuck in my head for the last week. I love it. I'm so into it. So please enjoy Spirit Rappings, my favorite 170-year-old song.
0: All right, I'm ready. Give it to me. This is a good start. Delightfully spooky. Delightfully spooky. You're you're so fast. You're like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I I was chuckling most of the time, people, because because she's just I have it all in video. <laughs> Dancing with Glee. Glee. I love
1: this song. I have played it way too many times.
0: I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I'm a so huge fan of me. spirit wrappings. <laughs> So she showed it to me and it was last night and I was like, she's like, she's like, man, I really, really need you to listen to this. So, so there's like occasional moments when Lainey's like, you know, like this is life or death and music it happen. So it is almost 99% like, of the time music. Yep. 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 You need to listen to this. You need to listen. Anyways, I, I fell asleep, woke up, you know, sent memes while I was, you know, getting ready for work in the morning <laughs> and I didn't watch the video and midday she's just like, you know, this is upsetting. You haven't said anything to me yet about that video I said to, or about about the song. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? I, you've been on a habit lately of screenshotting my messages and sending it back to me. And I'm so grateful for that because I'm like, no, that's keeping me accountable. I don't do no it
1: Nico. in time. Sure. Sure. I don't like you. Don't say something. And I'm just like screenshot that fillet to prove. I I do have to go back and find it.
0: <laughs> Could you imagine if I just if I immediately, if I said something and you immediately I just have a folder of just.
1: <laughs> no, I think I did tell you though when you didn't respond to spirit wrappings. I was like, this friendship is quickly hurtling towards its end. If you've got nothing to say on the matter, this is this is upsetting. It is. A freaking banger, a... and it, oh, I love it so
0: much. <laughs> I was in a meeting at work, and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm going to lunch. I'll, I'm going to do this right now, okay? I'm going to do this right now, but there's like 1800 views on the video. And I'm like, most of them. Have got to be heard. It's dope though. It's good. It's good. I love, it. I love it. But you were like, I've listened to it. So, you know, it's,
1: it's weaseled its way in there. It, it's affecting my relationship. Cause I'm singing it. Like anytime that there's, there's a moment of silence, I'll just whip my head to my partner and start
0: singing it. It just gets up and leaves. Oh, it's so good. You guys good. are pretty fortunate. You have, you have a whole separate room situation. You can go to the bedroom. You can go to the spare room. You can go to the living room. I know. You can go, it's you know, fantastic. You got, you got space over there. We got Yeah. We got our own little cozy corners. And that's pretty much it. That's it for yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Unless you want to lock yourself in the bathroom. But then the cats always want to be in there, so you never really get peace when you're in the bathroom. Plus, Robert Pattinson is just kind of staring down wow. at you.
0: <laughs> Whose fault is that? My brother's. It's a very small... That is a it's very small the bathroom. Tiniest bathroom for such a lo- <laughs> for such a large man to be staring have, at you while you're. I have bath.
1: a Robert Pattinson shower curtain, and it's I don't even know what movie it's from, but he's like a drug dealer in it, so he looks I, haggard. I, I don't think-
0: is it, it from is. a movie I honestly thought it was just no, from some no. shady Instagram no it, it
1: is from a movie I, I did look it up at one point
0: after it was gifted to me but it, he's just looking rough but everybody knows that picture it's that meme when he's a, he's in like he's in like the track. yeah yeah and yeah he's like in somebody's in somebody's like kitchen freshly bought yeah, kitchen. Yeah. there's like, like a empty. bottle of McCormick <laughs> like, like
1: seasoning in the background that you can see oh it's great yeah. and the way my apartment is set up like you have you a can direct see the McCormick yeah oh yeah. <laughs> There's a direct, like, sight line from sitting on the couch that if the door is open and the light is on, he's just giving you the eyes. Like, and he's just watching you the whole time. (laughs) It's fantastic. It's one of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten. I don't like
0: that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Me me over here with my my fucking trees and shit. And my... I do. I I've got trying a to make
1: lot of random stuff that makes it that is like oh, designed to be uncomfortable just around my
0: house. That's a really good way of putting it. You have some artwork too, where it's just it's. Well, then again, I have a lot of when I, people look at my drawings, it's nothing just but like mutant and like deformed people. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, this is my art. This is what <laughs> this I like. Is what I <laughs> do you like this? <laughs> <laughs> This man has, has a neck, the neck of a straw, and has, <laughs> he has seven hairs on the top of his head, but look at those tentacles coming out of the back of his so eyes. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> All right, got to get back. All right, on. let's oh, do it, let's okay, do it. Nice.
1: All right. So, with this intense new interest <laughs> in the Western world, many different societies were formed, and a great deal of money went into scientifically studying ghosts, apparitions, poltergeists, prophetic dreams, and much, much more. This was not just a lark or a pastime. Spiritualism and the paranormal were taken extremely seriously. In January 1882, a conference was held in London to discuss the viability of setting up an organization to carry out formal scientific research into these matters. The following month, the Society for Psychical Research, SPR, was founded in England, the first learned society of its kind, with the purpose of investigating mesmeric, which we now call hypnosis, a term coined by Frederick Myers, an author, poet, philosopher, and one of the founders of SPR. They also investigated psychical and spiritualist phenomena in a purely scientific manner. Its leaders quickly created an administrative framework, including a scholarly journal which people, which, uh which <laughs> psychical research could be reported on and debated about worldwide. In the United States, another group of distinguished scholars and scientists formed the American Society-, Society for Psychical Research, ASPR, in 1885. Fueled by scientific ideals, they were determined not to be misled by tricks, illusions, and wishful thinking, and quickly learned to spot fake mediums sitting through endless dull seances in the pursuit of scientific explanations. Both these organizations are still up and running today, carrying out field investigations, surveys, and experimental work. The whole point of psychical research is to approach claims of supernatural phenomena with science and logic to try and determine what is real and what is a hoax, investigating everything from the -the run-of-the-mill hauntings to poltergeist activity to telepathy to telekinesis. In 1886, the S- SPR released a two-volume publication called Phantasms of the Living that was all about telepathy and apparitions. The books were co-authored by psychologist Edmund Gurney, previously mentioned Frederick Myers, and author Frank Podmore. All three men were very active members of the SPR. The two-volume book was met with mixed reviews, and scientists outside of the interests of spiritualism thought that it was utter rubbish. However, Gurney and Podmore proved a defense of the society's early work in this area in scientific mainstream publications. SPR also investigated many spiritual mediums, finding a large majority of them to be frauds and swindlers. Psychical research was all done in the name of science and truth, and is part of the reason why we have so many answers today about the validity of paranormal claims. Now that we've gone over a little bit about spiritualism and psychical research, let's get back to the guy Nandor Fodor. As stated previously, Fodor was born in 1895 in Hungary, right at the peak of spiritualism happening in the west. He was born the 16th of 18 children. 18. Woo. <laughs> but he would become the youngest living child of his parents when his two younger siblings died I mean, in of at an least early. He was never alone. Uh, that's true. It's very true. However, according to a source I found, apparently seven other of his siblings also died rather young. So, <laughs> bring in those oh, numbers I mean, what, what, quickly. This down. Was
0: a, yeah, this is the 18. This was the Victorian era. This is the late 1800s. So era. yeah, where yeah.
1: this this is just that's typical. You had a bunch of kids because you I, knew what percentage of them were not going to make it for a number of reasons. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So Fordor and his family were of Jewish descent and originally had the last name of Freeland, Friedlander. It is unclear exactly when their surname was changed to Fordo- Fodor, but it is known that it was in the hopes of hiding their lineage during the rise of anti-Semitism. Fodor said... It's a- you picked that name? The- right? They chose Fodor knowing their son's name was Nandor. Like, <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. I guess it's better than being Jewish at that time. Ooh.
0: Oh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah I can't, now I can't say anything.
1: Yeah, you, you choose anything as long as it doesn't sound Jewish if you have the choice at this time. Yeah. So Fodor claim, I see I just I, it's like a mix between Hodor, Fodor, and Frodo, <laughs> like all trying to come out of my mouth at the same time. It's it's
0: really <laughs> it's yeah. you're gonna have to you're gonna have to you're gonna have to tunnel in. Tunnel in to the man's face. Yeah. <laughs> so he said that his Hold the door. Oh. No. No, I don't have the emotional
1: bandwidth to deal with remembering Hodor's death right now. So Fodor said that (laughs) that he had his first paranormal experience when he was seven years old, shortly after his grandfather's death. During the funeral service, his grandfather's coffin was opened so that they could give him his last blessings before the burial. Fodor said that he had an auditory experience when he heard his dead grandfather speak. He would later go on to label hearing voices of the dead, quote, direct voice phenomena. And the book he wrote called Encyclopedia of Psychic Science. That is like his magnum opus of everything he wrote. Like that is what he is basically known for is that Encyclopedia of Psychic Science. And that was written in 1932. Mm. He said, quote, I heard as clearly as I ever heard anything. My grandfather answering back. This is a memory that would always stick with Nandor and would help fuel his curiosity about the metaphysical for the rest of his life. Fodor was also heavily influenced by the writings of H.G. Wells and fell in love with science fiction. He said, quote, when I was young, science fiction was H.G. Wells. I was entrapped I was enthralled by the Time Machine, The War of the Worlds, The Wonderful Visit, Dr. Morose's Dr. Morose's Island, When the Sleeper Wakes, Man mm, Like yes. Gods in the Year of the Comet etc. I must have lived in his world even before. I suppose it was my earliest identification with science fiction. As that literature was still in limbo of my youth, I had to find food for my vivid imagination in related fields. In my university <clears throat> university years, I had found it in Ryder Haggard's African Mysteries. I learned English mainly through him. My romantic admiration for his wisdom and heroic doings was coupled with the fascination for the witch doctors he always encountered. Here I learned for the first time of telepathy, clairvoyance, and other mysterious psychic and magical faculties. They left a lasting impression on my mind. So, you know, as a young guy, he was very much into fantasy, science fiction, anything that that was exciting and new and kind of, you know, challenged uh, certain worldviews. He studied law and took his LL degree at the Royal Hungarian University of Science in 1917 and served as a law assistant during World War I. In 1921, Fodor migrated to New York where he was a journalist at the Hungarian-language American-Hungarian People's Voice. <laughs> he would- it's such a mouthful. <laughs> he would work as a journalist for more than a decade and used his legal skills that he gained in college to help him parse out the truth from lies. Around this time was when Fodor stumbled upon a book about psychic phenomena by a researcher, Hereward Carrington, called Your Psychic Powers and How to, De- How to Develop Them. Nandor was enthralled by what he had read, especially since it was like science fiction adventures were coming to life right before his eyes. After finishing the book, Fodor got in contact with Carrington to interview him. This led to another meeting with famed author and spiritualist Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock fame. Oh yeah, I didn't realize that um, he was such a, that he was like a massive spiritualist until I was looking into this today, it was awesome. So in 1926, Fodor interviewed Sandor Ferenczi, a prominent psychoanalyst and associate of Sigmund Freud. This also piqued Fodor's interest immensely and he became enveloped in the world of psychology and the study of human thought. He wrote many influential books on the matter, including one about prenatal psychology titled The Search for the Beloved, written in 1949. So this book, this book, (laughs) Fodor described that his belief was that a pregnant woman... Can, that pregnant women can not only communicate okay. telepathically with their unborn child, but that she can also cause okay. physical yeah. and psychological events to happen to said child, depending on her state of mind.
0: So that they she is really able to did just not like... not give women any kind of credit. They just, it was that is a huge amount of credit! What are you talking about? Yeah, if she's able hysteria. to... I,
1: if women are just able to communicate telepathically with their unborn children that is a huge I
0: to me anyway I be that would be dope that would be it's so one freaking step cool. away it's one step away of saying that you can will yourself to to like not get pregnant from a rape
1: yeah yeah one hey, I feel like that's a few crack- steps away
0: but <laughs> it's, it's on it's it's on the, it's the same road it's the house yeah. it's the neighbor on the road man it's a neighbor on the road yeah, I'd say it's on the block so science
1: writer Martin Gardner noted that although Fodor had contributed to respectable psychoanalytical journals, his views on telepathy were pseudoscience at best and did more harm than they did good. But it's funny, though, because as you're, like it is almost on the right path. Like, it's so close, what he was saying, because obviously women cannot communicate telepathically with their unborn child. But we do know now that things like... Stress, uh, like chronic stress, depression, you know, like not... If you're the mother is not doing well, that can release hormones that negatively affect the child in utero. There's a there's a physiological
0: change due to the stress because the cortisol levels in your body affect like it. it, 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 That that makes complete sense. That's why over the years they've they've said you know you just need to calm down. You just need to put your feet up and relax and don't worry about the dishes. I'll take care of the dishes. And we do. Yeah, we do know
1: that. That there are things that, that if pregnant women go through, it can have a negative effect on the psychological development of a child in utero. Like, that right. we do know is a fact. But So he was kind of on the right path, but he thought that women could just control this. Like, had the ability to determine if their child was, would be good, like, have, like, good or yeah. positive or negative effects. Which You is gotta just break a couple of your theoretical eggs really. to, to make yeah. an omelet,
0: you know? <laughs> Some of those eggs are no good pun intended
1: Uh, (laughs) ah ah so with his vivid imagination and devotion to the possibilities of the unknown Fodor would spend his life combining all of his interests and integrate his professions as a journalist psychoanalyst and psychical researcher in 1927 Fodor attended his very first seance conducted by medium William Carthuser? Carthouser Carthouser?
0: I don't know it's
1: a good it's a a hearty American name uh, yes. So at this at this seance, uh, he heard the voice of his dead father. Years later, he would become disillusioned disillusioned with the abilities of Karthauser. Fodor, however, never got over the emotional impact of hearing his father's voice again. Something he believed Oof. in with absolutely all of his heart. He wrote a detailed account of it and published it in a book called The Haunted Mind. In 1929, Fodor became the personal secretary to Lord Rothamir, a well-to-do British newspaper mogul. Lord Rothmere and Fodor had found common interest because they both had, were concerned with Hungarian affairs, such as the revision of the Hungarian peace treaty after World War I. Even though he was working for the millionaire Rothamir, Fodor still had plenty of time on his hands that he invested into the paranormal. It was at this time that he compiled most of the information found in his book, The Encyclopedia of Psychic Science. What I personally find, though, to be most fascinating, uh, his most fascinating contribution to the world of paranormal paranormal phenomena, is his classification and research on poltergeists, or poultry geists. (laughs) (laughs) Fodor pioneered the theory... The polter I'm never gonna be able to say it the re- the correct way ever again. <laughs>
0: Which one, <laughs> Fodor, Fo- Fodor, or Pol- all of Vace? it? <laughs> all I'm imagining is Hodor, like dressed up like like a little Sherlock Holmes with a monocle, <laughs> <laughs> Just solving crimes, man, solving crimes, paranormal of- crimes. <laughs> <laughs> put that little asterisk right there. In
1: there. I'm going to go to HBO with that pitch. And be like, no, no, no. It is Hodor. Like,
0: not, not just no, 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 the actor. Like,
1: the character. <laughs> it's, is it a Game of Thrones spin-off? I mean, you could call it that if you
0: want. Whatever mm. the audience wants to hear, but they want to hear this. This, I know for a fact. I spoke to a, a medium, and she told me.
1: okay all right all right all right so Fodor pioneered the theory that poltergeist poltergeist are external manifestation of conflicts within the subconscious mind rather than autonomous entities with minds of their own he proposed that poltergeist disturbances are caused by the suffering of a person due to some form of emotional stress or tension or compared reports of poltergeist activity to symptoms of hysteria, resulting from the emotional tension of the person experiencing the activity. And it's funny because if you look at a lot of poltergeist activity, they have they usually there's usually a teenage girl in the mix. With any doc like any documented documented investigation, there almost always seems to be a teenage girl somewhere in the story very close to the activity and there have been a lot of people over the years that have said that the transition of like when a when a girl gets their period for the first time is enough to bring poltergeist activity like into our plane of existence it's one of the oddest like <laughs> oh, explanations no, 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 no. for poltergeist activity but it is that like called... a lot of people
0: believe it's called it's called, that specific type of ghost is called uh, tele, it's like our psychokinetic, psychokinetic yeah, or something like, yeah. like that. So where, where you manifest it so, you know. The, but that's, that, what, yes, that's exactly. what Fodor is, that's what
1: Fodor is saying about poltergeist. He's saying that's exactly what a poltergeist is, is a manifestation okay, yeah. of somebody's internal struggles. That it's, it's like, it's like Matilda you know where she's like i oh, got well, all of that intelligence and exactly telekinesis it's coming out of her where you know where she said it's spilling out of her eyeballs <laughs> like,
0: so that's what Nandor uh, uh, yes, is yes. saying is precise visual it's just spilling out of her eyeballs <laughs> oh,
1: that's the quote from the movie where she's like so it's it's spilling out of my eyeballs like <laughs> oh that's
0: that's yeah. <laughs> look at you look at you
1: so yeah um That's, yeah, so that's what he's saying is that it's some internal battle is making so much psychic energy that it manifests outside the person and and that it's not a ghost or another entity that is coming in with its own agenda. It's really like you are staring back at your subconscious and it is attacking you. All of the energy that you are creating with your subconscious and stress is now attacking back at you
0: physically. And the best way to solve it's it crazy. is to go to therapy. <laughs> talk about your feelings. <laughs> so I actually did some research on this today because we, when I was looking up just topics on, on like classifications and mm-hmm. it literally at the end of the, of that one was like, you know, you just really need to talk to somebody. You need to get yeah. it out. Yeah. You need to do something healthy. You need to go like scream it out. But, uh, you know, <laughs> You're going to slowly implode and you're going to start to affect everybody around you. <laughs> Which I feel like I have felt. I've, I've been in some pretty dark places and things just kept getting worse and worse and worse and bad things were always happening. And I'm not saying I, I manifested a, a poultry geist, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I definitely manifested my own fucking misery. I made more that, and more and more and it followed yes.
1: me. Yes. That I compound misery like nobody's freaking business, where just every little thing, exactly, where it's just, like, another chip in the armor. Just one more thing that comes to to Terry. Like, just, I don't know. I feel like everybody, when they're in, like, a bad place or in, you know, just a a depressive state of one kind or another, that 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 is a very common thing, where, you know, everything feels like it's going wrong, so even when the littlest thing goes wrong, like, you spill your coffee when you're pouring you know, pouring it somewhere, you do something like where everything is just like the end of the, feels like the end of the world.
0: <laughs> well, love it. That moment between being a Kyle and, you know, being a Kyrie. <laughs> I don't know, I was trying what? to think of a, a gentler name than Kyle. Kyle, you know, like the guy who punches a hole in the wall.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You know? No, I know what a Kyle fuck is. Fuck.
0: Yeah, yeah And I couldn't come up with a quick enough name for a gentle person, so Kyrie sounded gentle.
1: <laughs> Kyrie.
0: Oh, it makes me think of Kai the hitchhiker
1: with the, the axe or the hatchet. No.
0: Oh <laughs> yes. Yeah, that there's actually a new documentary about him out, out on I Netflix. It was uh, yep, I saw that it was on there. Mm, that guy. That guy.
1: All right, anyway. So if you want to know more about what Nandor has to say on the topic of poltergeists, please please check out his book On the Trail of the Poltergeist. Pol- God damn you cat. Fuck you. <laughs> this
0: is fucking forever. I'm gonna draw it. On now. the Trail of tra- the
1: Poltergeist.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna draw it.
1: Please, it we need it. I want shirts made. <laughs>
0: That book was him. written in 1958. <laughs> I can already see him, and he's <laughs> ugly as hell. I'm sorry. It <laughs> <Boo. laughs> might be cute. Ah. Oh. Okay.
1: Anyway, so now, even though Nandor created, wrote, and studied so much in his lifetime, what he is probably most well known known for is the research of one of the oddest hauntings to ever take place in human existence. In the 1930s on the Isle of Man, a tiny and at the time barely populated island in the Irish Sea between Great Britain and Ireland, a paranormal entity known as Jeff the Talking Mongoose made himself known to the Irving family. So James, his wife Margaret, and their 13-year-old daughter, Voyery, V-O-I-R-R-E-Y, Voyery. What the fudge? V O I V O I R I I E <laughs> Y So uh They called her Vora because <laughs> that's a much better name. <laughs> So they were newcomers to the Isle of Man and were looking to make a living with a farm and some livestock. Jim was new to the farming game because he was originally in the pipe organ business, but World War 1 oh. kind of wiped out everybody's spirit for the pipe organ. So can Jim you, needed to find a new in that?
0: Can you just I, get involved in that?
1: I I mean, today it's probably pretty easy. I don't I don't know. But you know what? No, I take that back. I guarantee you that the people who are like really into pipe organs are a very secluded bunch and don't want outsiders so I don't know. I feel like they would be very closed off
0: <laughs> and We're elitist. That. We're gonna see about that.
1: I-, I need you to pay full attention to Jeff the Talking Mongoose because this, this okay. little fucker.
0: <laughs> I'm looking up pipe organ gang. <laughs>
1: I hope we never get arrested for anything because it's like
0: our search history is ever
1: good. like we're going straight into a mental health facility.
0: <laughs> I feel like the first thing that like I think of when I think of a pipe organ gang is that they have somebody at the front door going, "You want you want to get in?" <laughs> oh yeah, there's always with the snapping and like well, the you cigarettes. Think you're a Mr. A tough guy, sleep. huh? Mr. Tough guy, huh? <laughs> So
1: in September of 1931, the Irvings started to hear odd noises around the house. They claimed to hear persistent scratching, rustling, and vocal noises behind the farmhouse's wooden wall panels that variously resembled a ferret, a dog, or a baby at any given time. After a while of hearing (laughs) the noises, the family noticed certain odd happenings around the house, like things being moved out of place. Objects going missing just for them to turn up days later in plain view or food being eaten while the family all slept. The Irvings eventually started leaving food out for what they thought was a normal animal. This apparently pleased Jeff because after they started feeding him is when he decided to make his first physical appearance. I find this really kind of like a a cool little factoid because in so many different, um, like, Myths and things like that's what you do for the fae is you, you for like leprechauns and the fairies and you know all of those those creatures you leave food out for them you leave offerings of food and that's how you appease most. This of them. is Ireland and that's, that you're talking about, yeah, or like it this is, is just, it's in the yeah. It, I, the yeah right Ireland man, but yeah. Ireland and yeah and yeah so yes exactly and there's a lot of claims for that like odd things happening around that area anyway so who knows i just i, I love it. it so apparently his two favorite foods were bacon without the fat okay, oh ooh,
0: no who,
1: who? <laughs> and why i know i know well jeff <laughs> it's and it's jeff. jeff it's it's g-e-f it's it's a very distinct jeff he'd made this distinction himself and so his other favorite food was chocolate so bacon without the fat and chocolate he's a cute little guy (laughs) james said that jeff could only make animalistic noises at first but after talking with jeff for a few months he eventually learned english and could carry on full conversations in a very high-pitched voice that was described to sound like a teenage girl and eventually like people investigated this a whole bunch and so a lot of people thought that maybe vora was a incredibly skilled um ventriloquist, like ventriloquist? And that she could yeah that she could throw her voice really well and but she, it would have to be complete natural talent it's
0: not like she studied they heard it on the other side of a wall though right they never saw the creature mm-hmm. it was just on the other side oh of the wall? they
1: no yeah no he absolutely came out after they started feeding him he was
0: just like hey i'm a mongoose what's up oh and they oh my god they were talking to a real mongoose they were talking jeff jeff and uh jeff had human hands
1: like tiny human hands and yeah are there pictures of this there were a couple of pictures that were taken but a lot of people are like that's just a fur coat can i can i give you a quote of apparently what jeff said to the family this is a quote from jeff i'm a freak i have hands and i have feet and if you saw me you'd faint you'd be petrified mummied turned to stone or a pillar of salt
0: (laughs) oh jeff i'm a freak (laughs) (laughs) i have hands and feet i (laughs) i feel like if an animal became like a like more sentient i think they would freak out at first and just be pissed (laughs) what is this (laughs) what's that taste in my fucking mouth
1: (laughs) it's your dick you've been licking your balls for three hours
0: oh
1: (laughs) oh jeff Oh God, Jeff. Yeah, he he's an odd little guy. But over the years, the Irving family seemed to develop a loving relationship with him, and they would he would apparently over the years. Oh, he was around for a very long time, like eight years. Like they just lived with Jeff, and he would come and go, and he would just be like, "Hey, I'm here," and like pop up and he, like full conversations and he was super witty and was like a trick like he was just, yeah yeah there's a lot of of stuff about Jeff. I like we really could do a whole episode. This is a, also a very brief like we're just flying through the basics of Jeff right now <laughs> as a side note to Nandor. <laughs> so <laughs> Nandor and Jeff. <laughs> oh, I got more information about that when I'm done. So over the years, the Irving family seemed to develop a loving relationship with Jeff and he would help them out around the house, even bringing them small dead animals as offerings. Jeff supposedly guarded their house and informed them of the approach of guests or any unfamiliar dogs. They said that if someone had forgotten to put out the fire at night, Jeff would go down and stop the stove. The Irvings claimed that Jeff would also wake people up if they overslept, and whenever mice got into the house, Jeff supposedly assumed the role of the cat, although he preferred to scare them rather than eat them.
0: (laughs) This literally, this is a fucking Disney movie. (laughs) <laughs> Bro, like, this is,
1: this is a Disney movie. So I was gonna wait till the end to tell you, but I, you brought it up twice now, so. There is a movie being made. Of Simon Pegg. Listen to me. Simon <laughs> Pegg is playing Nandor Fodor. And guess who- I just- I need you to guess. One of the most- my, my most favorite people is voicing Jeff the Talking Mongoose.
0: Is it Matt Barry or some shit? Is it- Okay, it's not, okay, okay. It's Neil freaking
1: Gaiman is voicing Jeff the Talking Mongoose.
0: Neil Gaiman. That's gonna be wonderful. It looks out of control is what it looks. You've brought it up twice, so I gotta say it. I can't hold it back. I couldn't
1: I had no idea that this was this movie was in the work until I started doing research on Nandor Fodor and I was just like, are you freaking kidding? Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I'm so excited. So, uh the Irvings believed that Jeff was an earthbound spirit that simply took the form of a mongoose. In fact, Jeff himself reported to him that he used to be a man from New Delhi, India. <laughs> just happened on the Isle of Man. But as spirits like this often are described, he was also a trickster. If he felt like he wasn't getting the attention he deserved, he would pee on the floor, make loud noises in the middle of night of the night, and wake the family up, or mess with things around the house. They said it sounded like when he would be making the noises at night, it's it sounded like a pig getting a horseshoe nail driven through its snout. Which is just a very specific sound that they came up that's with. a screech. <laughs> But they were like, "Jeff, what the hell, man? Why are you making all of this noise?" He said, "I did it for the devil mint.
0: It's <laughs> a good excuse, solid talking excuse.
1: Okay, <laughs> like, <"Hey>, why not? <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? I'm a freaking talking monk.
0: <laughs> I'm Jeff.
1: So I have, that's the thing too. A guy, a guy from New Delhi, India, is just like
0: Jeff that's my name <laughs> well j-e-f or Jeff, it's g-e-f right g-e-f, G-E-F yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so after right.
1: news leaked about the apparent talking mongoose living on a random farm in the middle of nowhere on the isle of man jeff became huge freaking news newspapers were running stories on on his existence and people would flock from all over the place in the hopes of getting the chance to see or hear jeff Again, spiritualism was huge at this point in time, so something as big as a communicating paranormal phenomena was legitimate news at the time, and people freaking loved it. Jeff was a hit, but as he was very picky about who he would interact with, he said that he he apparently told the Irvings that he refused to show himself to non-believers. Since Jeff was such big news, physical psychical research from all over the world Psychical researchers from all over the world began visiting the Irving family, running tests, investigating their claims, and hoping to better understand the weird-as-hell claims of a talking mongoose. Famed skeptical paranormal investigator Harry Price made his way to the island, and after his investigation, he believed that it was absolutely more plausible for Jeff to exist than it was for the Irving family to make up such a ridiculous story as a talking mongoose. He was like, I- Honestly, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. This family's, their lives are ruined. Everybody knows their name. This poor girl, like newspapers are just writing about how this 13 year old girl has no friends. And that's why she hears a talking mongoose. Like nobody's benefiting from this. It makes way more sense for a talking mongoose, poltergeist haunting, whatever you want to call it to exist. Than for them to make up this stupid as hell story. And like Harry Price, is known for being one of the biggest skeptics in the game. Like, he got into the paranormal to debunk the paranormal. Yeah. And yeah. he's just like, I don't know what to tell you. There, He's got to be there. At least they believe he's 100% there. <laughs> so ridiculous. It freaking kills me up. <laughs> so, I think I just said kills me up, which is a... You That's did, a new you did, but I'm going me. with it. I'm going with it. <laughs> Kills me up, man. (laughs) So eventually, Nandor Fodor caught wind of this glorious haunting and began corresponding with James Irving about his experiences with Jeff. After two years of writing back and forth, Nandor finally made his way out to the Isle of Man in 1937 to carry out his own seven-day investigation. And what he came up with was by far the most ridiculous explanation for Jeff there is. Even though Fodor showed up a real, like, a true believer of Jeff, Jeff never showed himself to the researcher, much to Fodor's sorrow, and he desperately wanted to communicate with him. Even though Jeff never appeared, Fodor honestly and truly believed that Jeff was in fact a real flesh and blood animal that had mastered the art of human language. He believed that through the sheer boredom of the Irving family, they created enough psychic energy to actually be able to teach a real-life mongoose how to speak English. This man, this freaking man, cat—he found
0: a reason. He found a way. He found a way. I just, I like. Well, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. (laughs) Well-known. So the family, the family can see Jeff, right? Yes, all of the family can, not just just the daughter. Yep, yep.
1: And the like, other people on the island have claimed to have heard him and seen him. One of the psychical or psych psychical um, investigators that went to them, like left the house, and he then heard Margaret, the wife, like consoling Jeff and being like, "It's okay, he's gone." And Jeff's like, "No, I can still hear him out there." So he heard the voice of Jeff. No, we can <laughs> still hear him out
0: there. Yeah, just high pitched. No, he's it's, it's <laughs> out there still. <laughs> Get <out> of on, <laughs> <end>, Jeff! <laughs> I'm literally imagining no no fucking neighbors, nothing, just nothing but <laughs> silence and like the most highest pitch of Mongoose sounds. <laughs> and the moment <laughs> you shut the door and there's just nothing. You Like a if you've never stood outside of like a farmhouse and with a field before you it echoes (laughs) yes yeah it travels
1: yeah and it there was at this point like nobody on the isle of Man. there was nothing going on it was farming farming and more farming and that that was about it (laughs) so yeah he um fodor was just hellbent for a while for like a couple of years he was just like this is they must have just found the answer to teaching animals how to speak english this is that's it and but later he did change his view slightly and say that jeff was more likely a constructed poltergeist uh born from the imagination and boredom of the irving family and eventually got powerful enough to have its own agenda so that he, he because there was nothing going on In these people's lives but farming they were just like jeff (laughs) here's the talking mongoose we created so kind of like a tulpa kind of like a poltergeist Uh, all of it kind of wrapped up into to one talking mongoose (laughs) eventually jeff started coming around the irving farm less and less and the last time anyone saw him physically was in 1939 However, it is said right before James Irving passed away, the family heard scratching and scuttling along the rafters right above James's bed, possibly saying goodbye one last time to James Irving.
0: And by oh, the... my heart. Yeah,
1: little Jeff. So by the 1940s, uh, Fodor took a break from his previous work and advocated for psychoanalytic approach to psychic phenomena. He published skeptical newspaper articles on mediumship which caused opposition from spiritualists worldwide. He continued writing for the rest of his life and died at the age of 69 in New York, May 1964.
0: And that is Nandor Fodor. That's wonderful. <laughs> I cannot wait for that movie. That is marvelous. I'm so freaking I knew excited. knew nothing about it. <laughs> I knew nothing. <laughs> and there's,
1: oh, I think Christopher Lloyd is in it too.
0: Which is, just makes me oh, so happy. Oh, of course Christopher happy. Lloyd's in it. Thank God! Oh, that, that's a, that's a go-into-the-movies movie. Oh, absolutely. And the, one of the guys from, um, oh, you know, from Game
1: of Thrones is in it. Oh, There's just so many incredible people. It's going to be a time. It's going to be an absolute time. I'm very excited.
0: Yes. All right. So All let's right, dive so in. Nandor Fodor. Let's do it. Nandor Fodor. That's fucking fantastic. So we're going to dive right in. I decided to cover the Winchester House, so when I started doing my research into it, I had like the, just the, the general lore of what I understood from it, um, but found myself diving down a couple other paths that I decided to explore, so I took the legend and kind of merged it with a little bit of skepticism in some of this, so regardless, it's, it's just informative. Um, and obviously a lot more time could be put into discussing this specific story too, as a whole. So as most of our episodes go, you know, that's kind of the point of our show. We give, we
1: give overviews, we give like little stories so that we get you curious. You can go and look up more or you can
0: just take our word for it.
1: Whatever you like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Have it your way. All right. So in the sense of the Winchester house, it's been called a lot of things. Uh, but it's also been called the house that the ghosts built, so that's really a a common a common uh, name that you hear people say. But regardless, first, you so I don't I don't
1: know if field. you know this, but um, I've actually been to the Winchester House that my brother took me there for my birthday one year, and I've actually taken a tour of the inside and the the surrounding property of the Winchester House. Oh, that's
0: fucking fantastic
1: yeah so, it was
0: so what that what's 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 fantastic too is that you're gonna be able to you're gonna be able to like relate to it on a level that's much more personal and fill me in on gaps that I do not have okay because you probably yes. you probably know um like like in in my I have a lot more of the history in regards to the Winchesters. Um, And like I said, a little bit of the lore around the house, but more more fact than anything, more of like what can be proven Mm -hmm. and less of the story. And do you have more of the story? I have some of the story because, of course, you
1: know, people who are going there and are wanting to tour the house, a lot of them are there for that story. So I definitely feel like the tours that go on there, they kind of lay on. But it was also at the same time, like, here's what actually happened, here's what she actually did, and what happened on the property, and here's what she believed and why things are so weird in this house. And, yeah, so, like, there was a lot of actual-based fact and also, you know, the,
0: the fantastical well, see, nature of it thing. on top of it. So that's the thing. So all of the research that I found, there was a lot of people saying that she she did certain things but there's not any proof just like just like we have to get into it we'll we'll get into it i was gonna say i don't
1: know what you mean because the proof is the construction of the house it's it's, is the blueprint of so so
0: okay okay so all right all right so we're gonna talk about it all right so here we go so Really See, I know. This I is don't what know if
1: anybody I could anybody say, say so more
0: in three seconds. So, 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 so. Because so <laughs> <so. laughs> I, I wanted to say something, but then I realized I was jumping ahead like nine pages, and I was like, nope, oh, "No, no, nope. do, I
1: do the same thing." It's totally yeah.
0: fine. <laughs> So, in order to understand <laughs> the story of the house ghosts built, you must first understand the origins of Winchester repeating arms. Sarah Lockwood Party was born in New Haven, Connecticut, in 1839 to parents Leonard and Sarah Party. No birth certificate. That's the last
1: time Jeff was saw was seen.
0: Maybe, maybe she's she's fantastic. Jeff. This these are amazing connections. This is why we put this episode together. We are breaking down <laughs> all breaking barriers. barriers. We're finding down the, down the truth. Walls. I just want to say though. That there has been no birth certificate located for Sarah, and the U.S. Census records have conflicting information from that year, so it's possible that she was born actually a year later. But what they do know, and what everybody knows, is that she was the fifth of seven children. Now, Sarah's father, Leonard, was born in 1807 in Hammond, Connecticut. He came from a long line of woodworkers going back for generations and made his wealth during the Civil War as a carriage maker. Now, that's her father.
1: Oh, shoot. Did you say she was born in 1839?
0: She was born in 1839.
1: Oh, Jeff was last seen in 1939. Sorry. Got it wrong. Dang it. Mm
0: -hmm. Not Jeff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. So Sarah's father became wealthy during the Civil War for uh, being a carriage maker, and he made a fortune supplying ambulances to the Union Army. So naturally, this gave Sarah a privileged upbringing. And it was because of this upbringing she was able to meet her future husband, and key to her legacy, as they happened to be living in the same neighborhood william winchester william was the son of oliver winchester who gained his fortune not by guns but by t-shirts before the civil war he had his name oh <clears throat> before the civil war he had considerable success in textiles solidifying the winchester name quite early on it was not until he purchased a bankrupt Smith & Wesson company in 1957 that he began expanding on the revolver and creating the first repeating rifle in partnership, of course, with Benjamin Henry, which was one of his foremen from his textile mills. So it was just kind of somebody that he brought over with him. And to be honest, when you dive deeper into this story, they pretty much tell you that uh, Henry Benjamin Henry felt that he was more of the creator and that he was the one responsible for how well the guns were done and the success of them. So he really did kind of want the credit for that. Now, keep in mind during uh, this time, the expansion of of the West was grand and the Transcontinental Railroad was beginning its production and the future of the ever-expanding country was open for the taking. Well, not literally open, but white people did sure feel that way. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a couple of people living living places. I made sure I I pointed (laughs) out, because not only did Winchester sell and offer free guns to cowboys and settlers in search of new Mm -hmm. land, they also sold and gave guns to Native Americans. Nationally, as their land and culture began closing in around them, Winchester repeating arms felt no sense of constraint not to mention the personalities such as Buffalo Bill, who was traveling Wild West shows, created an unstoppable cowboy fantasy fulfilling the need to arm and grit. Literally endless possibilities and endless fortune during this period for the Winchester rifle and the Winchester repeating arms. <laughs> to
1: me, um, so think of the It's Always Sunny quote of, I play both sides. That's so why I,
0: I always win. <laughs> play both funny. sides. Yeah, but you can't tell people that you're playing both sides. Okay, You can't tell people Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Because now we know you're playing on both sides. <laughs> I'm going to use this as leverage. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to that show. So, at 23, in 1862, Sarah married childhood best friend William Winchester. By this time, she was already fluent in Latin, French, Spanish, and Italian. She was a skilled musician on the piano, organ, and violin. There's that organ again. <sighs> hey. <clears throat> big business shortly after the nuptials in 1863 william's sister passed away during childbirth with the baby a boy passing 19 days after and tragically her two-year-old son followed so his so his sister died her infant died and then her two-year-old son died once again these were dark Times people, yeah. Kids didn't uh, have mortality the greatest,
1: rate. yeah. Success, didn't rate. Have much of a
0: chance, yeah. These tragedies kept them local and closer to the families in the early years of their marriage, rather than sprawling about. By all accounts, she was extremely close with her husband's family. She and William lived with William's parents. The family decided to build a new residence in New Haven, large enough to house them all. They hired a well-known architect, Henry Austin, to design their new home. And while William and Sarah played a big role in the design of the house, most of the time was spent with Sarah in the designs. Because Oliver was so busy running the company, and this is William's father, and William, though, was following suit, showing signs of declining health, however, Sarah served as the primary contact with the architect, Together, they designed a 20,000-square-foot mansion with marble floors, elaborate fireplaces, elegant chandeliers, and floor-to-ceiling windows. It even had a four-story bell tower. In her late (sighs) 20s, she would become the first and only child. She would, sorry, welcome her first and only child on June 15th, 1866. A daughter named Annie. What should have been a joyful occasion became a time of grief for the family when they discovered Annie was showing symptoms of digestive problems and was not keeping her food down. She was diagnosed with marasmus. Mm. Now, marasmus is a protein disorder that doesn't allow the, bro- the body to properly digest food. So, after a month, she starved to death. That is the oh. saddest way to die. Oh, That's tragedy.
1: Just not being able to do
0: anything about it. Fucking Victorian oh, era tragedies, man. Loss would be a continual no theme for the Winchesters, though. Okay, so listen to this. Sarah's father, Leonard, passed after Annie. And while maintained, and while uh, she maintained her life as a wife and socialite, her husband worked and helped to build the company he would inherit. In, 19, in 1880, she lost her mother. And then a few months later, her father-in-law, Oliver Winchester, would die of a heart attack. And finally... Her husband died in 1881. He had an incredibly long battle with tuberculosis, so it was something that they were expecting, but that's literally, that's eight deaths. It's eight deaths. Now, all on her own, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company was all hers. Well, for a short period of time. Not all hers forever. She received roughly $20 million dollars, That'd be equivalent to more than $500 million in 2022. And the Winchester Repeating Arms Company left her with a steady stream of income equal to $1,000 a day. Uh, Eh. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. bad. I mean, $1,000 a day, you can't do... I mean, you can still do a lot with it now, but, like, even back then... I mean, you're building houses. You're building houses back then with that. Ugh. One of my favorite lines that I've read about this woman so far is, her life has been described as a mixture of affluence and affliction with no (laughs) in-between. Just pain and gifts. Gifts and pain. It was awful. So, you see, Winchester rifles were obviously used during the Civil War in an attempt to reign above the Colt revolvers used in the previous military matters. But their popularity increased more from everyday folks rushing, rushing, of course, to purchase the arms. The original Winchester rifle allowed multiple shots to be fired before having to be reloaded, hence the term repeating rifle. It was the first of its kind. 720,000 Winchester rifles were manufactured between 1873 and 1923 and became known as the gun that won the West. (laughs) After a long grieving period, many claim she hoped to get advice from the beyond as how to spend her fortune and what to do with her life. Although we don't know exactly what happened... I must state that this is a legend, of which is not actually able to be proven. So according to the legend, what transpired between Sarah and the medium is not specifically known in detail. It is said that the median was able to channel Sarah's late husband, William, who advised Sarah to leave their home in Connecticut and head west to California. She was to use her fortune to build a home for the spirits of those who had fallen victim to the Winchester rifles. And so she took her fortune and went to San Jose. So
1: something that was said on the tour was that um, it was, yeah, basically for, like, building a house, like you said, for the spirits. So that there was a spirit, some Native American spirit also apparently contacted her at some point. I'm not sure, I can't remember if it was during that specific seance, but it was also, like, you have caused... This is why everybody has died in your life. This is why your child died. This is why your parents died. This is why your husband died. This is karma coming at you. And if you want a happy What's life. What's
0: terrible, though, is what is it? Karma for just being a fucking woman? She didn't buy the company. She didn't. She nope. didn't do anything. She even, even like, I haven't gotten to the part yet, but literally wanted fucking nothing to do with it.
1: Like, But, they, but they're the ones who died. Like, they got the karma. They they're the ones they, who and they they but if she wants hope of getting out from underneath it and being you know I attached to saying. the Winchester name then you best appease start appeasing the spirits and give them
0: a place to go. All right. Yeah. I see. I see. Okay. But now let me explain. So they claim that you know she spoke to a psychic. They they they. So this is why I needed to have just a slight bit more time because I had the name of the psychic, and then. I looked up the name of the psychic and I continued to find article after article after article of people saying that there's literally no proof that this person existed, Mm, but I don't have that here. So it's, it's a little bit more of a deep dive. So, but all right. So she spoke to a psychic psychic says, your husband wants you to go out West. Okay. Now what actually happens here is that she took what was left of her closest family, her sisters, Belle and Estelle to California. Now with their, with their families as well the new country boasting mountainous locations and the ideal weather and a direct road line or a railroad line. I should say their boots and their roots landed in San Jose. And while Estelle passed away from a liver disease, from an unknown ailment, once again, a cause of speculation, everything that I have found says that it could be alcoholism, but it, she passed away because of liver issues. So there was, mm. yeah, And but also everybody, everybody was dying for one reason or another. So, yep. you know, and then Belle built a home with Sarah. So they built a home kind of sparking Sarah's interest again in architecture and getting excited to like try something new. And Because she, right before she left Connecticut, she just spent a tremendous amount of money and she built that 20,000 square foot home. Like, so she's just, she just keeps, she, it's, it's a passion project for her. It's what she loves to do. Now, <clears throat> we have an East Coast Connecticut socialite millionaire widow tragically modest and remarkably private she has a passion for architecture and design with an endless budget and all the time in the world these factors piled together in time in the time period that we're speaking about creates a powerful mix to conjure conjure rumors and lore especially the private part now i'll explain why later sarah ended up purchasing a farmhouse that would later transform into the winchester mansion At the time of the sale, the house was an eight-bedroom farmhouse with 45 acres. Legends say that if if the construction of the house stopped, disaster or death would befall Sarah. Mm -hmm. This must have consumed her entire life. She hired carpenters to work around the clock, transforming the farmhouse into a seven-story, 24,000-square-foot mansion. And the purpose of it? The rooms would shelter good spirits while the sound of the hammers would drive away the bad and damning spirits. The fact is, though, she was a creative genius, in my opinion, and a lot of opinions, with bottomless resources. She worked on the house because the fascination with creation and design design for this kept her motivated and her mind busy from the constant grief that she was persisting in her life. Like, this is a woman. I don't know if anybody has ever read... She she literally wore black until the day she died, and she was Mm -hmm. veiled anytime anybody saw her this woman literally lived in grief and how could you not paid? honestly I know, I know I know I know so in my opinion and a lot of and some an alternative opinions just say that she was a busybody. she liked you know she liked the the feeling of the finished project and the satisfaction because just like her house in Connecticut she controlled all of the plans she she It was a part of the process 100% of the way, and it kept her busy. There's obviously probably a lot of other things that could be true, too. Um, So uh, one thing, though, is that at this time, she paid her workers the best wages. Okay, literally the best wages of the time. And she was known to hire Chinese and Japanese immigrants and pay them upwards of 10 times what locals would get from their work. She turned a lot of eyes because of this, and it upset a lot of men of their time and, well, a lot of wealthy white socialites. It is even recorded that she denied two president stays. <laughs> I actually saw I saw a YouTube video um, where a girl a girl mentioned this. Uh, she was talking about the fact that she denied two president stays, and she's like, "Well, one of them was was Teddy Roosevelt, and he didn't want to stay there, fucking anyway." So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> but while many might see this as a sign of odd behavior, you know, and like something uncouth and. You know, a behavior of something that, or something that somebody, someone that has to hide something. Uh, I personally see it as a woman who just wants to be left alone. Damn it! Yeah, just some freaking
1: privacy. Thanks. Well, I build she my seems mansion to be done
0: with people, and she's over it. So and, you know, she just keeps building and building and building. Onlookers would slow as they passed the Winchester house, and it was not uncommon for them to see Missus Winchester moving about the grounds, but always from a distance. And she never showed any signs of acknowledgement or made any attempt at friendliness. She remained veiled in black, and with each passing day the enormity of the house grew and grew. Few of it's the It's freaking massive. Runs... It's massive. I've seen pictures, but I I can't I imagine it's like one of those things that you just you can't really picture it until you see it. I imagine that, yeah. that must be what it's like. It, it's
1: just it goes on forever and you could you would need a map if you're not familiar with the layout to get if you have any hopes of finding all the rooms. Can you
0: just can you do you can do um like singular tours they're not all guided tours? I don't know do... if
1: the uh I think you can walk around I think um and you definitely can on the outside property but I if anybody ever goes definitely take the guided tour. Absolutely, I would, I would because there are so different. many hidden things in like the stained glass, in the numbers of certain panels and certain places. Like she was obsessed with the number thirteen, so on a lot of the different like. Am I sorry? Am I encroaching on what you wrote? No, no,
0: no, 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 no. You're oh, not. Okay. You're not because I have more of the skeptic view of this. So this is good. This is good because you're saying that well, and she like, had a lot like, wow. of a
1: lot of things made specifically. Like she designed right. a lot of. A, like did, a lot of the did. stained glass windows that were put in, there's I think over what is it like over ten thousand windows in the place. Ten thousand windows. More, all yeah. I I do remember there are more windows than there are in the Winchester House than there are on the Empire State Building.
0: That's true too. That's true too. But I will Ugh. explain more. I'll I'll get to my I'll get to my perspective on that. um yeah, in yeah, just yeah. A second. Um. Here. Okay. So where was I? So. Okay, here we go. So fewer of the newer rooms were on the same floor, though. And people would stray from known hallways that led to frightening experiences, to especially new servants. Because on a constant basis, things were being crossed and mixed and, and switched and, and planned up. It was fucked up and it was amazing. And so...
1: Yeah, there are stairs that lead to a door that, like, doors that don't open, or, like, to that just, the are random passageways that lead to nothing, stairs up to just blank walls, doors that open to just another blank wall. There's so much because, like, there were plans to build there, and then she'd wake up the next morning and be like, nope, we're not doing that anymore,
0: and give, like, <laughs> whole new blueprints. That's fantastic. Okay, so this is where... This is where I kind of want to I'll offer a slightly alternative perspective here. So, workmen, who had either quit or been dismissed, carried accounts of the woman's madness back to the eager ears of the townsfolk. And, of course, like, journalists and people who wrote for the paper. There were so many articles written about this woman that were fucking bizarre and amazing. I mean, like, honestly, kind of interesting press when you think about it. If you're going to be... I mean, she literally kind of set the bar for the crazy old woman living, you know, in a... In a yeah. Crazy old witch, the woman. old crazy old witch in a in a cottage kind of a thing. So that's that's the image that people were portraying of her. So overall, this helped to perpetrate rumors of a batshit crazy woman slumbering among the sounds of pounding hammers. Missus Winchester did all the designing. She sketched out all the new additions on the backs of envelopes or plain plain wrapping paper. Nothing interfered with the designs either. If there happened to be a room standing in the way, the offending portion was torn down. Or it was incorporated into the design. Roofs soon became floors on which held whole new stories. What once was an outside wall now became an inside wall. There were more than 10,000 windows of every possible shape and size. Windows in the floor and in the ceilings and even windows in some of the chimneys. Costly colored glass windows created by Tiffany and company were all set in walls that allowed no light to pass through them. The number 13 was often used in the construction of the walls, floors, windows, and doors. Many of the stores only rise 13 steps before ending up in the wall. This being said, it turns out a lot of remodeling has been done since the original selling of the house. After the passing of Mrs. Winchester, And much of what you read and hear about in regards to the before stated coincidences were placed there strategically and touristically. So it's actually noted that many of the windows and, like, the spider features and, like, some of the 13 things were were placed there throughout, like, the 50s and 60s. Hmm, interesting. But some weren't. And so that's the thing. So, like, we, we all have to admit that this is a, a fantastic property that d- needs to be preserved. It's just remarkable. It's remarkable. But in order to do that, we need to make money. And so there is a legend. And also, you and I both know that once you manifest something enough, it's possible that things because, happen because yeah. Well, and that's just it too. That's just it too. Like before, uh, uh, you know, places un- never, been, never been haunted before suddenly having strange, you know, these strange occurrences, new builds and all these things. I mean, the idea of Slender Man, once again, like, Tulpas. yep, Tulpas. So, anyways, Topas. moving on because I'll, we'll go back into that. Rumors that brought more and more curious visitors to stare at the Winchester Place, of course. Um, and with the discovery that many of these visitors had entered, been entering the grounds, this naturally kind of upset her. And they were just hoping to capture, you know, a brief glimpse of the woman. Of course, she ordered that the entire house and grounds be enclosed by a high fence. Now. As an additional precaution, a cypress hedge was planted. Gardeners, whose only job was the hedge, forced it into a thick green wall, keeping prying eyes from seeing within. Any request to gain admittance to the house would refuse; would be refused by Mrs. Winchester. So, did you see these hedges? Yeah, oh yeah.
1: There's um like there's a there's a giant garden there as as well. But like well, the front that- of the house is is you can kind of pull up into but it is yeah it is surrounded
0: yeah we'll talk about that in a second too about the garden so by 1904 the house was a seventh store a seven story monstrosity of 144 rooms and its great grazed silhouette loomed on the horizon and was visible for miles around a strange thing was happening within the walls of the winchester house though by 1906, most of the employees that had been working together were immigrants who built families right within the walls of the home. Their loyalty grew and the walls of secrecy around Mrs. Winchester became complete. But there was a fear that those on the outside viewed Mrs. Winchester's sprawling mansion and those who draw, draw past in the early hours of the morning are a little creeped out by the sound of distant playing organs. And that is something that a lot of the witnesses when she was alive just say that's all they could hear is like, is this town wasn't really that developed at this time. And like she was at the top of it, like, like it echoed and just this organ <laughs> just would shoot across the landscape from what people would say in the town, Bye, which just makes me fucking laugh. building was continuous there was never any assurance that a corridor which led to mrs winchester's room today might be sealed off by a wall or door tomorrow or even would not open out into a space and plunge 50 feet to the earth below i loved that one yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh, i was literally looking at pictures and under the picture it said it, it was like it was like <laughs> um Boy holds himself uh, 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 from plunging from ground. And I just literally, I, I, I just, I lost it. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm putting that in there. <sighs> it was while walking along one of these corridors one evening that two of Mrs. Winchester's servants came, came upon her. In the flickering of a gaslight, they could see that she was not veiled. The two servants were immediately dismissed afterwards. Or so, another legend says. So these, so that story, so they all seem to be, a lot of these seem to have come from people who worked for her at some point. So if they didn't gain some kind of bond with her or if they didn't have some kind of loyalty to her and, you know, they didn't like her for one reason or another, they would, it would be easy to sell a story, I could imagine. Now there's not any proof that anybody's actually making money off of selling these kinds of stories, but it made for some hell, hell of a headlines. Yeah, I suppose. So, now the f- now following is entirely legend, once again, and none of what has been said here across many platforms and decades has actually been proven true, but it is actually one of my favorite... I want to imagine that this is true. This has to be true. So, somebody worked for Sarah, and she claimed that she would spend a great deal of time in her seance room, and that these visits were becoming far more frequent as she was getting older. The use... She used different series of passages each time she went, And its bizarre path and trail led through great portions of the house to a small blue room with a barred window a window facing a wall there was only one entrance with a secret panel that exited through a closet into another part of the house for emergencies it was here that she would commune with her husband and seek guidance in spiritual matters these employees who approached the locked door often heard her speaking during these seances and on one occasion The cries of an infant could be heard echoing through the tunnels. It has been stated that a maid, named Maggie Dugan, concealed herself in the Forbidden Room as Mrs. Winchester called upon the spirits to give her guidance. Maggie crouched, and she became panic-stricken when a detached hand appeared, holding an urn. Maggie bolted from her place and ran screaming and terrified. The bell would ring at twelve, one, and two, each night without wavering. And... The atmosphere within the house was one of quiet apprehension, although Mrs. Winchester no longer dealt directly with the staff, they were always aware of her presence within the huge house she had designed and instructed in such a way that she could observe without being observed herself, and she was constantly checking on the progress of the construction or the oncomings of going on on the comings and goings of servants they claimed oh it was yeah, there were so became...
1: many. Like, hidden peepholes and, like, pipes that she had set up so that she could hear, like, what they were saying, like, a
0: floor below. (laughs) She (laughs) was just creeping on all these people. She was literally paying people to, like, spy on them. They claim as she grew older, she grew even more eccentric. She designed and erected a ballroom, and it was a thing of beauty. Did you go into the ballroom? Oh, yeah. Okay. I Now, I want to know if this is the story that you've heard. You can see images of this online as well, guys, too. It's, it's a gorgeous ballroom. It's literally what I imagine when I think of a ballroom. So she announced that she would hold a ball for many guests and with all the very, very best foods and wines. She was especially proud of the fine chandelier with its 13 crystal glass lamps that would illuminate the evening's festivities. The food had been ordered and rare wine, rare wine was placed in cool cellars beneath the house. Musicians were hired and the day of the party arrived. They played in the ballroom while dinner was being served on golden buffet tables while the butler announced the name of the guests. But the funny thing was, the room was completely empty. The musicians played until two in the morning, leaving Miss Winchester still standing in the ballroom. They never returned, and it was the first and last entertainment to be held in the lovely room. She held one grand ball. Is that the story that you've heard? I, that is the story that I've heard for the, for the most part. It's fantastic. In April of 1906, the crown jewel of her home, her seven-story addition that could be seen for miles, came crumbling down during an earthquake. It crashed through her bedroom and a large portion of the house was destroyed, absolutely. This whole event... Distraught her so much that for years she decided to seal up and that she decided to seal up the area of the house completely. Now So we were able actually to go into a part of that that had
1: fallen apart. Like we had to walk like with our backs against the wall and kind of like sidestep around it because there was just a huge hole in the freaking room. And it was super cool though. Yeah, that's awesome. To be able to, to see the destruction.
0: So, so there was, there was more destruction. They were able to repair a good chunk of it. So I think I get into it here, but, um, I know for certain that they were, they, they actually did work on it for quite some time before she decided to give it up entirely. So, cause it says for the next six years, Miss Winchester lived on a houseboat anchored in San Francisco Bay. Oh, the life of a Love millionaire. It. Ah, uh, She would not return to her home during that time, but construction was never stopped during her absence. Daily orders were sent by messenger to the foreman, and the growth of the house went on. And she was working on repairs in that section, too. In the spring of 1912, Mrs. Winchester returned to her house in San Jose and continued the building with renewed vigor. The portions built to repair after the earthquake were hurried compared to the lavish room's That were completed before and this could most likely be the primary cause of the odd architecture such as the stairways to nowhere in some areas of the home because drawing so many visitors to the location it's natural that we want to just say hey she did it to build it for the ghosts." but there there were two different tragedies that befell her house one was an earthquake and another one was like a construction accident where just like a portion like something fell down so things and things were constantly falling apart like, honestly, by the time that like she passed away and sold the house, it was pretty much like worthless from what I understand. And so which is so interesting, knowing that there was so much money and time and effort and to be told that your property is just absolutely useless. But well, she died. So, I so mean, she, much didn't tell her that. Um, but OK, so. Her goal in general, though, was just to seal that area of the house off. As she was starting to age, and the majority of the work was completed, and the unending sounds of construction were beginning to linger away, Mrs. Winchester's health was beginning to show the effects of the many years of living with sorrow and loneliness. As the, past, as the years passed, Mrs. Winchester spent more of her time in pure solitude, crippled by arthritis. It was almost impossible for her to get around. On the evening of September 5th, 1922, she passed away of heart failure. Now, it's difficult to say how much of the Winchester legend is true and how much of it is false. We do know Winchester's early life is well known to be factual, though most historical traces have been wiped out of New Haven, actually, and is, it's as almost as if she, William, and the baby never even existed at all, apart Weird. from the legend itself and, and knowing, like, being in the town, but, like, when it regards to paperwork, documentation, like, there's nothing there as a record. But after she moved to San Jose, the truth becomes so tangled with the legend and rumor and gossip and fantasy that it's hard to be sure of it all. She became more of a recluse, never attempting to dispute any rumors or address any allegations, only giving more fuel to an already bustling fire. She spent more time building on her house, and all the while, stories about her grew almost as fast as the house itself. (laughs) There was something about her that... Not many speak of when they talk about her too, and that was her gracious, charitable efforts. Though she preferred to remain anonymous, and it's really no count of actually how much the money that she's given to charity. She gave to a lot of organizations. Perfectly commonplace events may have become magnified or distorted because of the strange aura of the mystery surrounding the Winchester name. And while the rich and lonely widow may have been driven to the eccentricities in self-defense in order to preserve her privacy. There are actually a few great reasons why some of the architecture might make some sense. Short steps were to ease her arthritic legs and the passageways and doors that go to nowhere. The that remains that of was demolished huge. Wings- that,
1: it was really hard to climb the stairs because how short they were. And they really? did say that. It was because of her arthritis, because of the, it was so hard for her to move, that the stairs, they were only like an inch, maybe two inches apart. So it, it was hard. To so only they move. must have
0: just spanned along. Like lo- they it, must have taken it forever. It up.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so you're just taking these tiny, tiny little steps, which you would think would be easier. But your when your body is so used to behaving, you know, normally
0: like with normal size stairs, it was difficult to climb them. It was yeah. so strange. Fuck man, that's amazing. That's good to know. So yes, the passageways and doors that go to nowhere could be remainders of demolished wings or earthquake ruins, uh, because once again, demolished wings—like literally, it's—it's it's been she. You can see some of the uh, like the floor plans as she she would literally design through rooms, and if that room had you know a ceiling or a part in it you know she would she would take these lego pieces and just put them in places they didn't belong so naturally it makes sense that you know you would create stairs to nowhere but that's because she wasn't in in one popular opinion she might not be necessarily entertaining the ghosts but keeping herself busy and and literally just designing room to room to room to room and just project that's that's basically
1: how they said it in the in the tour too it was that like be because She needs to continuously... Because the the story was that the ghosts, that the spirits were the ones telling her what to build. Right, That that's where she was getting the information. And that that's where she was getting the blueprints for what she wanted the, the workers to do and to build. And so that's where the story comes from. And is like that part. But they knew that the reason why doors lead to nowhere and stairs lead to nowhere is because things were... Constantly changing. Whether that it's be carved because she into. kinda crazy and you know, is staying up all night and doing seances, whether or not she's speaking to ghosts or not doesn't really matter. She is crazy enough. She's very you know, quote eccentric. unquote crazy. We, call them, ex- we eccentric call them eccentric, eccentric these yeah, days. I'm not saying yeah. Where's <laughs> like, where, she, where that is that is a logical thing is to wake up you know go to bed one night and the construction workers are thinking they're going to be doing one thing and waking up the next morning and getting a brand new
0: blueprint for something that like you said just goes somebody you give somebody a woman of her time I mean this woman I actually I don't think I have it in here specifically because I knew it was gonna it was just a whole conversation in itself about oh so many of the details of the house but I mean, she had indoor plumbing. She had electricity. These things were not common in in households Mm -hmm. during this time. It was a spectacle. So, anyways. The incredible sprawl of hundreds of rooms, the miles of corridors, and the unearthly qualities of thousands of doors and windows and the rooms behind them. Honestly, the real answer may be that most of Sarah died back in New Haven the day she buried her husband. Aww. As the last of Sarah Winchester's possessions were being removed from the house, a small box was found in one of the rooms. It contained a few personal possessions and a death certificate of her husband and daughter, along with a tiny lock of baby hair. Yeah. Now, (coughs) excuse me, guys. So, that's pretty much the end of the portion that I wanted to discuss. Now there's so much that can be said about like the Winchester legend, but I just wanted to point out real quick just to get, you know, address the elephant in the room. Honestly, when I was trying to do a shit ton of research on this, I could not find many accounts of ghosts. There's the one ghost that keeps coming up and that's Clyde. Clyde's the wheelbarrow man. And you know he's. You see him out in the gardens. You see him in the basement. You see him sometimes fixing hoses. From what I've from what I've read, but apart from that, there's not a lot of accounts of of other ghosts. Now you. What about what about you? Have you? Clyde was the only one others? that
1: they really talked about because like he lived in a lot of them. A lot of the people that constantly worked well, on yeah, the house lived, lived, lived in the house. They were like family. She, they were they were yeah, pretty much family. Be, they were working around the clock. Like they knew that they were employed basically for the rest of this woman's life. And so she like welcomed them into her home. She wasn't like crazy friendly with them, but apparent like apparently Clyde was like they were pretty close and that he had a strong connection with the house and
0: that he just he liked it there too
1: much and stuck around.
0: <laughs> I love it. What an environment to be living in and during that time.
1: I was there. They, I guess they do night tours there now, too, which I would yeah, love to go that, back Yeah, they and started that last year. Yeah, last so year cool. at Halloween.
0: Yep. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty neat. They give you one candelabra, apparently, and they give you it as a night tour. So it's pretty neat. They give you a, a whole yeah that is really cool that is like a haunted
1: mansion like you know such a vibe such a vibe
0: and so of course you know being going back to disney you know when i had gone on when i got on the the haunted ride mansion i had never actually seen haunted mansion the even even the disney movie i'd never seen that so after kind of hearing a lot of the lore about the winchester mansion i do think of the haunted mansion i do think of Mm -hmm. um Madame Lea, uh, Madam Leota, and I think yep. of like her séance room and the crystal ball and all that madness. And and oh, imagine the heart of the um, the heart of a home being a séance room. It's literally yes. a tunnel yeah. of tubes, and when you get there, there's no way out. I mean, there's obviously like an escape door, but it's like you walk into the belly of something, and there you are, just to sit in the acidity of it. Oh. Yeah, and I want to believe it. I want to believe it all. I do. I want to believe it.
1: Did you ever? I don't know. That just made me think of it. Did you ever see Monster House, that cartoon that came out in like the I early two thousands? Yes. One I of the most depressing ago. movies ever. Like the explanation well, so up, of that man. movie is horrifying. Yeah, but at least it that's in the wife, beginning, right? It was. Yes,
0: his wife. she
1: was. She was like the the fat lady in a freak show, when she like everybody would come and make fun of her and like throw things at her, and he was his. Like, her wife was... I mean, her husband was just trying to protect her. And when she died, she became the house. And, like, so all of these kids trying to, like, mess around with this haunted house. And he's just trying to protect his wife that was horribly bullied and tormented. Bullied her entire life. Movie. It's a
0: horrific movie. so I've, I've definitely seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> but it, it reminds well, me of, of, of,
1: like, that kind of oh. thing, too, where the heart of... It's the the heart of the house where whether or not like you i was saying whether she was speaking to spirits or not weird stuff was going on in her mind in that room to the point where it if like it affected all of the house it affected all of the workers that had to build it it would just it seeped from her into reality
0: and like like we were saying the story is now so great and so and, in two and... ways we did present one very similar type of potential ghost, or <laughs> its type of supernatural entity, and that would sim- be be that of a tulpa. So you have, you have Jeff, and you have supposedly <laughs> all of the ghosts uh, associated with the deaths from the Winchester rifles.
1: Which I mean, that's again, that's terrifying enough. From, just but think that's of
0: the idea. That is terrifying. Think itself. of like
1: grief. Grief can cause psychosis. Like pain mm-hmm. can cause psychosis, so she's got all of these family members, the people that mean the absolute most to her in the world, have all died. She is left basically alone. She even brings, you know, her sisters out to California with her
0: for a and while. One of them too. dies. and she, like they all, she lived just... for a long time after these people. Yeah,
1: yeah. It pain, utter pain, and that can create so much. Like I mean, you know, like depression is now known to physically have negative effects on your body. So, and like, just think of the effects that that can come. I mean, obviously, it's not telepathy or telekinesis or those things that necessarily Nandor Fodor was all about. But it, there is a power of the mind that can affect the physical,
0: mm, and it is mm-hmm. it's just dealing with the all manifestation of, that. I, like, of it. Yes, the brain is a powerful, powerful 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 muscle it is a tool of destruction although Mm -hmm. it it, hasn't there been hasn't there been some i I actually i don't want to say it because i'm going to sound stupid but that we do use more than a percent like a small percentage of our brain that we're actually far more percentage
1: like there's there's the old trope of we only use 10 percent of our brain that that has been proven to not be true tremendously outdated but that there is definitely a lot of untapped potential in the human brain that we still don't understand a whole mm-hmm. lot of. And so, I mean, that's that's part of why we're able to have conversations like this. And why we're still able to debate the metaphysical and things like that is because they science- is still relatively very new like the type of science that we have today and the things that we're finding out like you know recently just discovering that uh, like you know uh, mycelium is able to help trees communicate and that they communicate Mm. in a specific language and that you know fungi and mycelium has they they have a language with up to that we've discovered more than 50 words identifiable words that they communicate with like that that is something so far beyond what we could possibly think of even a hundred years ago that it, it's we're able to still have these conversations of what if what does exist what is real what is what can we do with our brain can we create to help us? is that all that mm-hmm. extraterrestrials are are there nuts and bolts aliens or all is it all in our brain poking through our subconscious you know like it's all <laughs> there's going down the rabbit hole there are so many different things that we can still go eh eh, eh? <laughs> <about>. eh? <laughs> cuz we don't know and i i don't know i i, I kind of enjoy that I, there's a part of me that wishes that we had you know all the answers that we lived in a time where i could be like yes this magic is real and we can call it science now because we know how it how it because works we know how it but works. at the same time it's still really cool that we have a little bit of misunderstanding of how the world works and are still able to dream a lot and use our imaginations to fill in the blanks.
0: We need that. We need that. We need that. I feel
1: like even if, no matter what, I I highly, highly doubt we're ever going to have the answers of the universe. I just don't. Absolutely not. It's too big. That's okay. I'm
0: all right with that. Oh, I'm
1: totally fine with it. So many... So many people desperately need those answers, and I'm so much more comfortable die for the answers, not having them. Yeah, start wars Kill for, for them the as answers. Well. Yes. God, what was there? I, I was watching something. Oh, I was watching Man in the High Castle the other night, and there was I don't I don't know why this popped into my brain, but there was a quote in it where one of the main characters said, "There, there's barely anything in life that's worth dying for, and even less worth killing for." And I was just
0: like, mm. 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 there's a lot of good lines from that movie <laughs> t v show, but yes, right here, right here, oh yes, yes, yes yeah. no, 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 no. is is well, we were gonna good. I wanted to get into the topic of a couple other things, but i as as again, this is a very long episode. this was a long episode, mm-hmm. so I think that what we're gonna do is we're gonna re- we're gonna take the uh, a discussion that we wanted to side table for another another episode in regards to the types of ghosts and classifications and, and relatability yeah, we're to just gonna our have stories, to do another we'll, one we'll of end these. up making a whole thing out of it it's gonna be fantastic so uh apart from that though guys it's been it's been fucking fantastic um, yep this hit us episode. up on i think all the yeah, social medias
1: been... this was great we're definitely gonna do more i don't know if you guys have noticed but we kind of do different uh reoccurring themes with this show so we'll we'll throw another paranormal episode at you real soon this has been really fun. I, I really enjoyed this. So hit us up on Instagram. Yeah, we got some
0: doozies coming up.
1: TikTok, Reddit. There's a whole bunch of things. We're going to go a little light and then we're going to go real dark again real soon. So stay tuned. Yeah, balance. <laughs> All right. All right Thanks, we love guys. you guys so Appreciate much. Us. Thank you.
0: Cheers. I shall not commit the fashionable stupidity of regarding everything I cannot explain as a fraud. CG Young.